Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, we are a shoeless house. It's Arturo Zurita. Zach, I'm excited to talk. Wait, where are you, Zach? I'm I'm in the, the middle of nowhere. I'm nowhere. Uh, <laughs> you drop your exact locations. Yeah, I'm trying. I tried to get as far away as possible. I ended up in upstate New York, so it's not that far. But yeah, I'm I'm enjoying some outdoor weather while we still can, as the uh, seasons start to turn. All you need is six feet, Zach. You don't need to go that far away. You just need six six feet. That's it. Uh, either way, this is going to be a, a nice little shift. Hopefully, hopefully the sounds of nature aren't too. Uh, overwhelming and you could hear our talk but maybe it'll be kind of a, a refreshing uh afternoon out with intercut sounds good sounds good i'm excited what do we yeah. got to talk about you today? feeling better people were concerned you were feeling sick last time we talked yes i was dead but i have been resurrected zach <laughs> now i am back ready Arturo to go 2.0. cool uh in a little bit we'll be talking about shifting release dates mulan's pvod performance and the emmys but first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on youtube.com slash intercutpod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at intercutpod. That's at intercutpod. That's short for podcast. And remember to leave us a five-star review on Apple's iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it really helps the show and helps us know what you like about the show, please. Keep it a five stars. That, that's what really helps us out. Art, let's start the show the way that we started every week here with what we are watching. Let me know what you've been watching, buddy. Uh, there's a couple of stuff that's been released on Netflix that I was able to catch, like Ratched, which was the prequel to uh, the, nur- the nurse's prequel to One Flew One Over the flew Cuckoo's over Nest. The cuckoo's Nest, yeah. Interesting uh, American Horror Story spinoff, I guess, if anything. There was also uh, Away, which I know a lot of people have been either complaining about or saying it's misunderstood. Uh, I saw like an episode or two and then I've been away from it, but it's okay, I guess. So neither the new Netflix TV show stood out to you? Not necessarily, but that's mainly because I started watching season one of Succession and it earned that damn Emmy. Oh, Oh, man. I've been waiting for this moment. It's good. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm not completely done with it fully because I was trying to catch up on a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, you know what? Why am I kidding to myself? I already know Watchmen's going to win. Yeah. I already know, you know, and I had watched a bunch of Shit's Creek as well. But I was like, let me just continue watching Succession. I can't, I've seen the first episode three times already. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite lines is like, you'll get your bit. <laughs> uh, it, and I was like, let me just continue watching. It is fan-freaking-tastic. Yes. Every yes. single aspect of it is like top-tier uh, there's a reason why HBO, even as everything has shifted with, you know, ABC and NBC, they used to own the Emmys. Mm-hmm. Now it's Netflix and it's Hulu, but HBO is still there, you know? Mm-hmm. All these new ones that cropped up and the other ones that fell, but HBO is still there and it's because of shows like this. Um, it is absolutely fantastic. I, you and I are going to be doing a lot of explain for sure yeah. on this at some point. Recap for it uh, for the third season or something, but if you have not seen Succession at the start of the show I just needed to mention watch Succession yeah there's a lot of things about the show that I really love I think the performances are some of the best on TV they've got these really finely written characters and they've got that the back and forth with these like very cutting lines is is there an Mm -hmm. element of the show that really stands out to you so far Um, besides the dialogue they do these (sighs) there's an aspect of it where and I, I don't know if it's on purpose or not where someone will just say a random line and you know the camera work is like very intentional 
Yeah. Like it'll, it, it's very frenetic. It's, it's always it's got a little moving, bit of it, that, like the office docudrama yes. thing, but they're not looking but, to camera. Exactly. In the office, like, you know, and the beat is coming, which, right. which isn't bad, you know, but that's why people like the office and the zoom in here. It's like, oh, you're going to focus on that for a little bit or, <laughs> oh, you're going to keep that one line that a random character said and just not come back to it. It's like the weird moments, the slip ups that we have in real life caught on a TV show for whatever reason. Like one of the first ones that happens in the first episode that always makes me laugh is when they have the kid come up to play baseball. You hit a home run, I'm going to get you a million dollars. And the guy just comes out of nowhere and he goes, uh, uh, give it to me. I'll, I'll do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he just leaves. And it's like, why did the camera not cut away from that? It's a bunch of little moments like that that uh, it, it, they're just hilarious to me. I think it's very funny. Yeah. But yeah, just the back and forth and the dialogue is fantastic. And I know that we're going to mention some of the performances later on when we mention the Emmys and some of the ones have been snubbed. But uh, it's funny while at the same time, you know, definitely... It's, it's a drama, you know? It's under drama, it's not yeah. under comedy. I, I think that moment is a great encapsulation of what the show does so well, because, like, at first it is this kind of moment showing how they're so uh, fast and loose with their wealth, and they'll just throw out a million-dollar bet for the mm -hmm. fun of it, because that's the, who they are. But then, like you said, the camera will linger on the kid whose life they could have changed but then didn't, and is going to live with that, like, somewhat traumatic memory of, like, being mock mocked by mm -hmm. this obscenely rich family uh, and it's in those little moments where sometimes they focus on somebody who's not at the center of the show where I feel like you learn a lot about what the show is trying to portray uh, and, you know it's just really really immaculately written immaculately directed all the all the sets and locations they go to are, are perfect so uh, mm -hmm. I'm very excited to see what they do especially with the third season of that show uh, and whether or not it's going to be impacted as things go back into production under different circumstances. Uh, but I've loved the first two seasons. I'm excited for you to catch more of it so we can keep talking about it on Intercut. And that score. Oh, my Ooh. goodness, that Nicholas score. Nicholas he, he Is yeah. he the top guy in the game right now? I mean... Uh, you just need three notes of the succession thing, and you you know you're in on it. You know, yeah. it's like when the Game of Thrones theme would come on, and you're like, oh, you're in on it. Succession has that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Pusha T did a remix to it, so like, <laughs> you know, uh, I've also been watching sticking to HBO. Have you caught Lovecraft? I've only seen the first episode so far, but it's really intriguing. What do you, what do you think mm -hmm. so far? Ah, uh, well. Decisions are made. <laughs> Decisions yeah. are made in the later episodes, and I think episode five definitely has gotten a lot of people tangled up without s spoiling a lot of it. But uh, knowing that it's based off of a book, and I think a lot of people had criticisms in the book because it's like a white writer who, mm -hmm. in the little nuances, uh, decided to go certain ways. But there is a lot of set pieces within the show. I mean, even in the first one, that final car chase se sequence, right? Mm -hmm. But with the idea being the setting and where they are and trying to get away uh, and trying to beat the sun, really. Fantastic moments. Yeah. Um, that was, to me, I probably the best moment of the first episode. For sure. Uh, I, I like the performances. I like, you know, I like the mystical aspects of it, but there are so certain points. Again, I think uh, episode five had a lot of this where um, I don't think it's bad. I, I think HBO should make all the creative decisions that they want, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely out there. And I'm curious to see how they're going to wrap it up. But the effects have been fantastic. That, that's been, like, a, a really big standout because I know a lot of people are calling this, like, a black version of Indiana Jones because he's going in through all these like mystical adventures and stuff. And I was like, sure, but they got a great production budget that they've got going with it. And uh, the performances are fantastic. Um, and they're all superheroes now too. I know Journey's <laughs> been a superhero and our boy is also, I think yeah. he's going to be a villain in Ant-Man. So mm -hmm. there's that. They've been, they've yeah, been uh, going up. 
it, from the first episode, it definitely seems like they've spared no expense the same way that Watchmen was a very fully realized world. This one mm-hmm. is as well. Um, there, there's one where they could save it. I don't need to hear Cardi B. In, and it's not the fact that Cardi B's in there. It's just considering the setting. Mm-hmm. Y'all going Boz Lerman on sequences where someone literally has bloody shoes. So you're playing bloody shoes. Right, right. I don't need that. I don't need that. You guys can keep that one right there. But uh, other than that, there are, there are some good moments within the show. Then I, I would recommend it. Cool. I'm curious to catch more of uh, Lovecraft Country as it what have continues you kept? on. Uh, as for what I've been watching, I think we both caught uh, something that I've been watching. And uh, maybe, unfortunately, uh, Antebellum. Uh, we, we saw the latest mm. Lionsgate horror movie. This one's starring Janelle Monet. Uh, it's got a little bit of like a Twilight Zone vibe in that uh, it's kind of mixing some present day stuff with some plantation era stuff. Uh, and it's got like a very big mysterious twist to it that it was kind of not that in mysterious. The, and in uh, the trailer. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that the first like description of this movie's plot is something that doesn't get revealed until 38 minutes into the movie was to me like the first sign that this there's some like big mix up in terms of whether it's marketing or or the actual you know production of this movie but that they layer in so few details or like mystery throughout yeah it's kind of played so straightly as like a slave drama in the first 35 to 40 minutes and then played pretty straight as like a as like this mystery about a uh, a successful woman who's being maybe slightly stalked. Like there's not a whole lot of uh, things that make you question what's happening. The the fact that they barely go back and forth between what's happening at all doesn't let you like s- try to. It doesn't give you the disorienting feeling that I think they want you to. It's so like flawed in its execution, and also just like kind of gross in how slick and you know beautiful that some of the plantation imagery is i feel like to try and combine a real life horror with horror movie aesthetics get uses some of the the real danger of those moments um so it i was not so thrilled on the movie just like (laughs) thematically but even in just its execution it feels so poor and the, the final twist is laughable no you mentioned the plantation scenes. Zach, what if I told you that if I read an explanation on the directors explaining their movie, you know it's bad when even the explanation makes you go, nah, this should not make me like it less. Yeah. Um, Zach, they went above and beyond to secure the lenses from Gone with the Wind. Yeah. that To be a- able to shoot the plantation scenes because they said, and it sounds very familiar, I believe another Sundance filmmaker wanted to flip a title of a classic <laughs> KKK movie and yeah. make it his own, and that did not turn out well yeah, for him. Yeah, that turned out for Nate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here, like, they wanted to take it and be like the beautiful imagery from Gone with the Wind, and we want to uh, encapsulate it in ours by doing what? I'm not exactly sure. Right. There's There's something in the movie. It feels very misguided. It feels very... Like you said, everything's in the trailer. Mm-hmm. The directors play on a twist that you'd be surprised why that would be a twist. They are activists who have done a bunch of short features with uh, like bigger actors as well. Um, yeah, Gerard Bush with, and Christopher Renz are the yeah. co-directors here. Co-writers and they've, directors. They've done stuff, you know, a lot of activism stuff. They they themselves say, and I think that's been the biggest 
uh, criticism of it that they are activists who are filmmakers and people are like no stop making stop getting a message and making a movie make a movie and find the message right um someone get someone gets delivered a bouquet of cotton and they don't question it there's yeah there's a lot of like why aren't you talking more why aren't you like saying isn't this weird that we're both experiencing this thing in the year 2020 uh happening in this movie that uh, they just ignore yeah i i'm just baffled by a lot of the decisions made in this and and uh, you know we talked about this with the new mutants controversy too but like something that it's it's bad enough when it's racist but it's also it's worse when it's racist and dumb cuz like it's insulting yes. your intelligence uh-huh. uh there's some some weird Weird decisions with this movie that I, I did not well, like. Racism I, is bad. Yes. <laughs> but you could also make a good movie while doing that. That doesn't make your characters seem a little dumb or redundant, especially when you have to push it. I, I loved so many people. One of my favorite reviews that I kept seeing over and over again was, warning, the trailer said producers of Get Out and Us, <laughs> not Jordan. <laughs> right, right. That's when you know it's bad. People like, oh, I thought it was Jordan. Never mind. Nah, so, nah. Yeah, they definitely try to play off that. Um Nah. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would definitely recommend the reading the the writings of uh, Angelica Jade, who wrote about the movie for Vulture, I believe, and uh, mm-hmm. Robert Daniels, a couple of black critics who I think have more to say on this movie uh, than, than I could. But yeah, it's bad. It's not worth going out of your way for, especially it's a, as a high price home rental. I, I, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd take a. I, I just wouldn't watch it. I'd, I'd avoid it. <laughs> Aside from Antebellum, I've had a chance to watch a bunch of movies from the New York Film Festival, which started up recently. What'd you uh, got? You know, annual celebration of movies, one of the exciting events of the year. A little bit different this year in that a lot of the screenings are virtual. They're doing a lot of driving screenings in Queens and the Bronx and Brooklyn as well. Uh, not that I've been to any of those yet. I'm still hoping to get to some. But luckily, they've presented a lot of the movies in a virtual format. Uh, the opening of the film festival was one of three movies that are from Steve McQueen's upcoming uh, film series for Amazon. So the first one that was aired is called Lover's Rock. Uh, this is a really interesting one, especially coming from Steve McQueen, because I don't know about you, but when I hear his name, I think about films that are about suffering, right? You have a movie mm-hmm. like Widows, a movie like 12 Years a Slave, a movie like... Uh, a, hunger, a hunger, shame. Uh, shame. It's, it's, <laughs> it's in the all title about just the human condition and how how uh, life can be torture, and then to go straight from those into Lovers Rock, which is a seventy minute uh, movie that's all about wow. this day around a house party. It's these people getting together, cooking dishes for the house party, setting up the the sound system. The, the intimacy of dancing close to someone that you don't know, uh, sneaking off into the back with them. Like, it's all, all the, like, fun little details that, personally, I haven't been able to uh, experience for many months now, which maybe increases my, like, nostalgia watching a movie like this. I'm sure a lot of people were watching this movie thinking about the house parties they're not allowed to go to right now. Uh, even though I'm not houses. going to a lot of them yeah. recently, anyways. Um <laughs> It, but it's it. There's just so much joy in it, even though there's not a, like a lot of plot there. Uh, it, it feels almost like definitely more dramatic, but almost more like a dazed and confused in the mm-hmm. way that it just kind of sprawls and shows you these different characters and bits of life. Uh, and, and I kind of loved that about it. I loved the details uh, that McQueen adds here. 
uh, from like the the goat curry to some of the song selection and the early early dubstep sounds and stuff that are in here. There's a sequence to uh, the song Silly Games that's just one of the most joyful movie moments I've had all year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not exactly something that whose story is going to be super engaging, but it's so pleasant. It's such a vibe uh, yeah. that I, I would highly recommend that one. Uh, well, like and, the musical style, because I know that's what Lover's Rock is. It's like reggae. I don't know how much that plays into it. but Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- minutes, those are the wow. sounds you hear That's throughout nice. are different reggae and mm-hmm. uh, you know more like island sounds. Uh, but it's it's a great movie. I, I know there's still virtual screenings of it available on October third and October fifth for about fifteen dollars. So also he's doing all five with a production with I think the BBC and Amazon Prime. So if you do yes. have Amazon Prime, yes, you'll so be able those to get will all, five. all be on Amazon by the end of this year. I think Lovers oh. Rock just was. T- uh, announced that it'll be on Amazon Prime November 17th. So Woo! it's not that far away, but uh, beginning of October five, if you want to like stream it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what about the other ones? Did you get to catch all three so far? Uh, no, they've only screened the uh, Lover's Rock so far. They're screening, I think, Mangrove next. I'm probably going to catch that tonight or tomorrow. And then okay. uh, the festival closes with Red, White, and Blue. Uh, so Mangrove is the one that stars Letitia Wright, and Red, White, and Blue is the one that stars John Boyega. So those are two I'm really excited for, uh, based on those casts, as well as Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lover's Rock was pretty much like nobody I'd heard of before too which is uh, another cool thing but that's cool uh yeah so I'm, I'm very excited to catch some more steve mcqueen movies while at this fest uh, a couple of the others that i caught were, were a french documentary called the monopoly of violence it's this really interesting look at the state of of uh, protests and police in france uh very interesting because there's so many ways in which it parallels what's happening here in america uh you know there's some eerie similarities from uh the, the way that uh, it's discussed in the media, and and sides are pitted against each other, and uh, even even just down to uh, if you've been paying attention to the police protest or protests against police uh, that have been happening in America throughout the summer, and how many reporters have lost eyes um, from rubber bullets and stuff. That's something that is ha- shown throughout this documentary: is the amount of people who've lost eyes uh, at the hands of police violence uh, in Fran- in these French protests. So just being able to see so many of the issues that uh, we're confronting in America, but given this kind of different perspective, because it's happening in France, uh, is really interesting. Uh, and I think so, this documentary has some of the best most engaging uh, talking head segments that I've ever seen in a documentary. If, you, if you've if you seen documentaries, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the idea of the talking head being uh, when they sep- go away from the action and they cut to an interview with somebody who's usually mm-hmm. like in a room by themselves. And what they do instead of that is they have two people opposite each other. So they shoot it like it's still, still a single talking head, but it's an interview between these two people, oftentimes who have opposing viewpoints. So now they're engaged in like a dialogue or they're arguing with each other. And rather than being these information dumps where it's just, I'm an expert and I'm going to tell you what I think, you, you're hearing people who are engaging with the images that were being shown because they're also showing them these images. And then you're okay. seeing them like in conversation uh, in a way that's less formalized than I think we are used to in a documentary talking head. And it just makes the, f- the movie feel so much more urgent, right? Like they're, they're, they're so, when they're become, when they become impassioned about the things they're talking about, because they're in these debates, 
it, it, it wakes you up a little bit more mm-hmm. and shows you just how important some of these uh, things that they're trying to get across are. Uh, I was I was riveted by how this documentary is put together. It involves a lot of found footage uh, of people, of protesters taking cell phone videos and stuff like that. Uh, I'd love for uh, an American filmmaker to basically adapt this format to to what we've got going on here uh but if you, if it's a subject that interests you i'd highly highly recommend i think believe david dufresne's is the name of the director of the monopoly of violence it's one of my standouts so far uh from new york film festival nice. uh, definitely as well as mlk fbi uh i was been, about to mention that one yeah in terms of documentaries yeah because they've got two documentaries that so far have maybe been the best things i've seen here uh, MLK FBI is directed by Sam Pollard, who's a veteran documentarian. He's got a really great documentary on Sammy Davis Jr. that I saw a couple years ago. Uh, with this one, it's very comprehensively done. You know, he, he again uses talking heads, but he never shows the video of them. He just takes their audio and lays it on top of all of this archival footage, just mounds and mounds of, I'm sure, hours of research and uh, digging through uh, all this this footage of the era to, to show you uh, the rise of the FBI, the rise of Martin Luther King Jr., and the ways in which uh, the organization butt heads with the civil rights leader uh, because of their suspicions of him. And it, I think most people have some cursory knowledge of the idea that uh, the FBI wiretapped and spied on Martin Luther King Jr., but the way that mm-hmm. this is so comprehensive in showing you um, how it started, why it started, the beat-by-beat progression of it, uh, why it why it was either good or bad I think is really well done uh, and gives you a lot of really interesting uh, perspectives on it. They also talked to some people who were involved in the FBI at that time too. So it's not all uh, you're not getting all of the uh, the the information from the perspective from the non FBI non law enforcement perspective. Um, That's good. But like it's it's just a very interesting documentary uh, about just some of the most important people in our somewhat recent history, uh, and it's the kind of thing where if you you feel like you know the subject but you don't really know the subject, it's a worth catching up with because it just it will fill in so many of your knowledge gaps, and I think uh, it helps inform a lot of the dialogues that we we're still having today. Yeah. Uh, I think this one's also playing in Chicago, and I want to catch it because I Very think it's cool. slated for 2021. So it's like I definitely want to catch it before yeah. the year ends. Yeah. I think IFC is planning to release it early in January 2021, mm-hmm. which, because of this weird Oscars calendar, mean it will still qualify for yeah. the upcoming Oscars. But, yeah, that's a, another weird consequence of the Academy shifting its release calendar. Some of those late December releases that we are used to might happen in uh, January or even February. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I've been hearing uh, there's another – a lot of great things about Docs. There's another one. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a Mexican documentary, I want to say. And I think it, it like breaks down like what the government is doing over there. And people were like, yo, this happened in Mexico. Mm-hmm. But that sounds too familiar. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I've just been hearing a, a lot of the great, greatest reviews come from the documentaries that I know they're not stopping their releases. You know, a lot of big budget films or, you know, the big ones that would have played at these festivals are like, we're going to wait till next year. The Docs are like, we'll play. <laughs> yep. We're going to play. So it's like a lot of quality coming out of that category. Uh, I caught a couple other movies, too, that I'll, I'll just mention in brief. Uh, you can follow my Letterboxd for some more of these updates as I see them. I saw uh, Malmkrog, which is this three-plus-hour yeah. uh, Romanian film where uh, aristocrats debate different philosophical 
beliefs, and uh, that one was a bit of a slog. I, I had trouble getting not, through it. Uh, not worth it being sold out? I, I don't think it's worth being sold out, no. Uh, not not a huge loss if you didn't get your tickets to that, in my opinion. To, for me, the better movie that was basically like long, drawn-out philosophical discussions was The Inheritance. Uh, okay. It's uh, a movie about these... Uh, these black radicals who who get a house together in Philadelphia and they're trying to balance uh, their burgeoning ideas of uh, their burgeoning ideas of community and and living uh, free of capitalist influences with the ideas of sharing a bathroom and whether or not people should be allowed to wear shoes in the house uh, and and I like that there's sort of like a high low aspect to it where they'll have like a five minute section that's all about the uh, Philly move movement that uh, became the subject of uh, a lot of law enforcement scrutiny and bombings and stuff like that uh, but they'll ex- they'll do this these sections on Philly move and these sections on Marxism and then these sections about just debating uh, what it's what's being a good roommate in a commune based environment. Uh, so I liked that there's sort of like a, a high low nature to that movie. Uh, it, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit like it, it looks a little bit low budget, but it's shot on 16 millimeter against these very vibrant colors, these red and green and blue walls that are very pretty in the movie. Uh, It's very interesting from Ephraim Asili, a filmmaker definitely to watch out for. This is his feature debut. Uh, Not going to be for everybody, but if those subjects sound interesting to you, I've heard Mm -hmm. people compare it to uh, uh, La Chinois, I think it's called. Uh, So, yeah, definitely an interesting film out there. And then uh, my favorite uh, narrative film so far has been The Night of the Kings. Uh, This is a film. Yo, I want to watch that one. Yo, it is really, really good. Okay. Uh, uh, So this is a movie uh, written and directed by Philippe Lecotte. It's out of uh, Ivory Coast. It's actually somehow Senegal's official submission to the Oscars this year. I, I don't know how uh, that kind of works, but it's about this young man who comes to this prison that is run basically by the inmates, different gangs that operate throughout the prison. And they've got this whole kind of uh, uh, worldview that has shaped, play, shaped in the prison in almost like a Mad Maxian way where uh, like some people are named after... like adjectives there'll be people who are called like half mad or silence or uh there's a trans woman and they call her sexy you know it's all the it's got that kind of um almost dystopian aspect to it uh but there's also this thing throughout where this young man who is thrown into the prison is quickly elected as the new storyteller and he has to tell a story that spans the entire night or uh, they will kill him, essentially. It's this really, really cool, just like mashing of uh, genres. It's, it's about, it talks about like the myth-making of storytelling, but a little bit about these like prison cultures. And I don't know, man, it was very tense throughout and just very exciting, okay. really well acted, really well paced. It, it's a very good movie. That one stood out to me when I was like looking at a bunch of the stuff. Uh, it's still playing. I don't, I don't know if it's playing in Chicago, but I do want to catch. That was one of the ones that I wanted to catch. Um, Time, I know, was also playing there. And I know you yes. got to see that one. That, that'll that be coming out in a little bit. Yeah, speaking of uh, documentaries at New York Film Festival, that one mm-hmm. uh, was one of my favorites back from Sundance. So I, I would definitely highly recommend that one, too. 
Looking at the schedule, I also see All In, the fight for democracy, which I actually got a screener sent to, so I know that's part of the lineup, but that's yeah, the one on Stacey Abrams and voting. And that might be on Amazon right now. It is. So. It's on Amazon right now. Yeah, I got it like a week later it was up, but uh, that one's a good one just talking about voting and, and the suppression that happens. Just like showing you, it's like, hey, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's not even, it should be illegal, but it's not illegal to do and they're doing it. And I mean, you go on Twitter and you see it right now. Uh, but I think one of the, like a super dope quote that she had was uh, ra- being raised by her parents. She would always be like, oh, we were so poor, but we were always giving other people stuff. And it's like, why are we giving other people stuff? We're poor. We should be getting stuff. And her mother or her father told her, it, just because you don't have anything doesn't mean you give nothing. And I was like, ah, that's dope. So it's a nice little yeah. story from her perspective uh, that comes from Liz Garbus, who's been on a roll. Uh, mm-hmm. I think she also did Lost Girls earlier this year that we saw at Sundance. Uh, she also did... Um, uh, another documentary that I know may, I think got nominated for an Oscar as well, so it's like yeah. Well, I, I know, know she did. Didn't she do Mommy Dead and Dearest also? Might have. Let me search this up right yeah. here. She did. What happened to Miss Simone? Right. Uh, that was her. Bobby Fischer against. She did. Who killed Garrett Phillips? Which is also on um, HBO, and I've been able to finish that one. I know that's a mini doc series that's also in there. Yeah. But no, this one was pretty good, and. Um, Vote. Yeah. <laughs> it's going go to get wild. Like, I might have to join you over there. Yeah, <laughs> I want to we'll be away see. from downtown as well. It's so. going to be a, a tumultuous uh, couple months at least. I think that's yep. fair to say for uh, us here in America. Uh, but yeah, uh, let us know what you've been watching in the comments on YouTube or by shooting us an email. Let us know if you can uh, catch any of those New York Film Festival screenings. The address for mm-hmm. emailing us is intercutpod at gmail.com. Uh, shout out to Steven, who always is commenting with what he's been watching. We really appreciate that. We are going to move on to our yay or nays, where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment, starting with the success of Mulan's Disney Plus $30 release has debated amongst film industry analysts. analysts. The analytics firm Seven Park Data claimed that Disney had a nice $269 million opening from its week opening weekend. But later, Brian Lichtenberg of Seven Park clarified that when adjusted to Dis- Disney Plus's subscriber numbers, the revenue is far more likely closer to $93 million, which it should be noted is around how much Trolls World Tour reportedly made earlier this year, uh, only being released for $20 rather than $30 to everyone, not just Disney Plus subscribers, and on a mm-hmm. budget about half as large as Mulan's budget. So, Art, yay or nay, Disney will look at the release of Mulan as a success. No, because Black Widow and everything else got pushed for next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, we, we're going to talk a little bit more about release date shifting in a bit, but uh, the fact that uh, some of their films, like Black Widow, are... are being saved for 2021 definitely shows that they're at least wasn't as enough of a success that they want to do it again Mm -hmm. and if they do they're probably just going to do it on smaller ones uh but Mm -hmm. i I just continue laughing that like mulan 30 dollars plus the subscription you don't have the subscription you're gonna lose it uh artemis file 100 mil yeah we don't care (laughs) that that one's for free y'all can have that one but i I think there will be a lot of other projects that is where we will be seeing the mcfarland usas that's where we will be seeing all those disney movies that don't have superheroes in them, that aren't a part of a franchise, but they'll probably be going straight to Disney+. Plus. We've, we've known this, but yeah. uh, I hope they don't try to capitalize on thinking they could do, like, $30 premiere access, and yeah. then you can get it in. Because that's the other thing. They said Mulan's available in November. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that hurt this release. Uh, there was all the controversies around the film, whether that was uh, the lead actress's support of Hong Kong Police, or that was the uh, revelation that... 
Uh, some of the filming took place in areas where there are apparently concentration camps for Muslims in China. Like, you know, all the all these bad, uh, bad word of the mouth. Plus, on top of that, uh, to, to casual fans, it was it was revealed that it's going to be available for free without the rental fee on Disney yeah. Plus in December, I think it is. So, mm-hmm. like, unless you're dying to see Mulan, you can just wait until later this year and yeah. don't have to pay $30. So, I don't know. Um, even the Chinese box office was apparently very low for Mulan. It yeah. made something like $23 million, which is uh, <laughs> less than what Tenant opened to there. Yeah. So, like, e- they were counting on a good amount of money from Disney, uh, excuse me, from from china and uh yeah it just seems like interest in this movie isn't that high to to justify all the money that was put into it i guess and it'll be interesting because you know even the they were banking so much on the china box office and besides obviously all the restrictions and everything that's happened there was also when all that attention happened they barred any journalists from speaking about the movie in any way shape or form to a degree so it's like that also limited a lot of it but yeah, so maybe they'll have another project that isn't as political. One of my favorite comments for when we made the video was like, why has it got to be political? I was like, you're right. <laughs> we're saying it shouldn't. What we're saying is the behind the scenes is overly political. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. We shall see. I, I think that they'll, they'll bring it back for other things. And it's going to be very interesting to see the other studios do it. I still believe Peacock will be doing something of the sort. I still believe, uh, did we just see what happened to CBS All Access? Which I always thought was a dumb service. Yep. Paramount Plus. And they weren't paying attention until recently. Now they're Paramount Plus. It's like, what took y'all so long? Right. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I'm sure we'll, we'll be seeing that from a lot of other people who want to give early access, especially now that we are ending the year. Like, <laughs> it took this long for Black Widow to be postponed till next year. Yeah. DC still thinks they're going to do Wonder Woman. So, I mean, they're going to find a way to try to make other money um, besides subscription services. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because several big blockbusters that were still slated to come out at the end of 2020 have pushed back their release dates. Black Widow, which was on the calendar for November 6th, is being held for May 7th, 2021. Interestingly, that's about a full year after its initial planned release date, May of this year. Steven Mm -hmm. Spielberg's West Side Story, uh, that remake co-starring Ansel Elgert, who has been accused of sexual assault, will launch on December 10th, 2021, instead of December 18th, 2020. Art, we're coming off of Mulan's premium video release, and we've had tenants, you must see it on the big screen release, and both films failing to live up to their financial promise. So, yay or nay, studios won't re- won't risk releasing big blockbuster movies until theaters are back to normal. Yeah. That's Seems true. like it. I mean, uh, you know, Trolls, we, we talked a lot about how that was a surprising success, but even Trolls was made on a budget of about $100 million, and I think just that difference of 100 to $200 million And is, the type of movie it is, is right, who it's is geared so for, significant. and all yeah, the 48-hour rentals that were renewed because of the kids, they mm-hmm. knew what they were doing. Exactly, yeah. Like, there, there is a market. When, when you only have to make a certain amount, maybe you can find a way to uh, achieve that market. It doesn't seem like the premium video-on-demand market can sustain movies that cost $200 million. It, it just do- doesn't seem like it adds it up doesn't. the same yeah. way. Um, it, which, if they, like you said, if they weren't as expensive, you maybe have a chance to play it over here. Mm-hmm. But because you want to make these super expensive movies, that the only way to do it is if theaters are jam packed, it's not going to work that way. What's the new thing right. that they're doing? Their whole release strategy for Tenet is that it won't be there for three months. It'll be there for a very long time. It's okay for it to not have two hundred mil the first weekend. We want twenty mil. We want seventeen mil yeah. because we're going to keep beep, 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 adding it up. And I was like, I don't know, because you're also forgetting the word of mouth. 
Mm -hmm. The people who complain about putting something available for everyone to binge and the accessibility complain, no, that's not how you make money. But now you're trying it in theaters? Yeah. Of course it's not going to work, but... Um, I don't know. There's, you know, when we talked about this way back in March, we talked about the ability to be able to do things like virtual screenings where you don't necessarily have to have it on demand, but it Mm -hmm. does work. Like TIFF, I believe, was able to have some screenings for big movies that they're now limiting to only drive-in, you know? I know in Mm -hmm. Chicago, there's certain movies that are not available to stream virtually. They're not doing theaters. You can only go see it in the drive-in for $100. Right. So, I mean... You had the infra- you have a bunch of Walmarts throughout all of America. You had the opportunity to be able to create something where people can still come and congregate. But you also had the ability with all these virtual festivals with specific, um, you know, not VOD purchases, but actual um, time like, limits and yeah, time limits and the, uh, the the actual website that it's on. Whoever's hosting it, mm-hmm. they would have blocked all that, you know, they, or at least to a certain degree. Um, but no, they they. Just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. So we'll see. I'm very curious to, to see what's going to happen there. And like we've been mentioning throughout and throughout all these months, how are they going to get back to filming? Because what right. you're doing is you're leaving a lot of product there. And one of the most interesting things I've seen with cable television, which I'm never on other than when the Emmys was playing, was, oh, my goodness, look at these shows that had pilots that included people as game mm-hmm. shows that were mm-hmm. probably rejected. And now they're going... We haven't shot one in a while. Where are those? Re- Someone give me that pile of rejected ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot of things that were just cut off, probably coming back to fruition, just as placeholders, though. So that's probably going to be the ugliest type of um, content that we're going to get. Stuff that was never finished, but it'll fill the hole in between. Right. So, and, yeah, we'll And see. it's really interesting to see, like, also the, the movies that get made in the immediate aftermath of this whole uh, scenario. Uh, if they're going to be a little bit more conservative in their budgets, just because we don't know if they can yeah. make back two hundred million dollars anymore, like when when is a studio, or maybe it even is worth saying, when is a studio other than Marvel Disney going to bankroll another like two hundred million dollar movie? Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I think there's a good chance that that might not happen for another year or so at least. Um, I I guess we'd still have, you know, like you said, Wonder Woman 1984 on the calendar, Dune, Pixar's Soul is still on the calendar, but I don't know. Uh, They're going to have to uh, re-figure out the the financials of this all if Mm -hmm. they want to sustain the market for these types of blockbusters. I mean, Antoine Fuqua, his new movie with Jake Gyllenhaal just sold to Netflix for 30 mil. Yeah. You know, and we've been talking about the bigger ones that were supposed to have releases like uh, the Tom Hanks one that went to Apple, for the, you know, and it's like, at what point will those deals not be profitable? And then there goes even less money. So, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know, man. We previously discussed HBO Max's Gotham City Police Department spinoff show from the world of the Batman. HBO Max is doubling down on that bit of business by greenlighting a Peacemaker series set to star John Cena as a character from James Gunn's upcoming Suicide Squad movie. James Gunn will write all eight episodes of the series and direct multiple episodes but art yay or nay that this peacemaker show is tied to an upcoming movie makes you more excited for the show no it you did a great job doing the yay or nays in this order Thank it you. answers the question of the last yay or nays that is how you will be making money mm-hmm. it's we've said it's even from small things like skate kitchen mm-hmm. everything now needs a series everything needs to be long form uh we have said it 
but of course we may be nobodies. Go listen to the people from Universal who have legit told their creators, we need you to spread it out. Hell, yeah. even Quibi, that's 10 minutes, said it's really just non-90 minute feature cut up so we can milk it. They want you to milk it. Every creator has said this. They know that the new way to do it is to create longer form content. For some people, they're excited for that. They want the Snyder Cut. They want, uh, you know, the Hateful Late series, the Once Upon a Time series. And, you know, it doesn't need to be a bad thing. We may, we may be able to have actual director's cuts. We may be able to actually have a more fleshed out artistic vision. But at the same time, yeah, it seems like everything's going to get attached with the show. I can't say that's yeah. good or bad. Um because it can go either way. This one's on HBO? Yes. Uh, Max. Max. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't you think quite have something? the same ring. Now it's not starting to have the same ring. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's why they created a Max, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can't get blamed if it's not up to the par yeah. of the other shows? Okay. Um, it's exciting to me that James Gunn is so directly involved with this. He seems like he's even more involved with this show than Matt Reeves will be with that Gotham City PD show. Okay. Uh, and that, to me, makes it feel like it's going to be more of one vision. Uh, I know a lot of people had a critique of the Suicide Squad character reveal trailer that came out not so long ago. Um that there's just too many people in this thing. Like, how is this movie going to find space for all these people, all these characters, all these all these hu- superheroes that people love and care about? And it seems like this is kind of their answer, right? Like, they left the door open <sighs> to, to do, like, oh, maybe there's not going to be a lot of uh, Peacemaker in the movie, but go check out his HBO Max show. Like, I, I don't know. Then that's not a movie, then. You know, that's what, that's what people complain about when it's like, oh, look at universe. this. Yeah, you're just doing the other thing. It's a, uh, don't forget to check out this video over here while I talk about it. I don't know. I am a fan of what they, yeah, right? (laughs) And y'all made fun of us. (laughs) I think that they, as long as it's on HBO, they've done a good job with, you know, Skate Kitchen and with a a couple of the other stuff that they've been extending. And I think it's a cool little playground to be able to extend these universes. On top of that, they have really opened up on HBO Max because I don't know if you heard the news about the DC Unlimited, I think is what it was called, DC Infinite, which used to be like the DC app. It was their mm-hmm. own streaming service that had Doom Patrol and I, I think it had Titans and all that stuff. That is officially moving over to HBO Max. Yep, and they're turning with that. The, uh, Harley Quinn, Carly Quinn cartoon that a which, lot of people love. Yo, they've been knocking out of the park with that Harley Quinn. I was watching some of that in the background. That is funny. Um, and also, they are dope because they said, spoil the show. Explain it. We don't care. We know how marketing <laughs> works. Oh, my goodness. Finally, somebody. Um, but really quick, what they're doing with the DC thing, I think, also adds kind of to what we're talking about with movies and streaming. The DC app that was hosting all those shows will no longer be streaming shows. They will be streaming comics. And I think it's interesting, even though it's a different medium, how that works. Because we have theaters that are brick-and-mortar places to see movies. We have comic shops. And as we know, like, do you read a comic? I I love reading comics. Do you hold it? Or do you like reading it digitally? I love holding my comics. But, you know, they're very expensive. And now this new DC platform is going to be doing what Marvel has been doing with their Marvel Unlimited. And where you are able to read all of the storylines from all of DC, you know? Just like Disney+. Plus, (laughs) But... Every, uh, after six months of the issue uh, premiering, you will be able to read it right there for free with your subscription. Mm-hmm. So they're able to have that sur- subscription survive. But at what point is it just shifting more to the digital age, to the digital age, to the digital age? Um, that Yeah, they're, they're more reliant on making sure that they have you on a subscription service as opposed to trying to sell a product for you to buy, you know, like an actual sale. Yeah. Um, 
I think that will affect the way we make things. It will definitely affect the way we make things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, more and more of our economy is moving to sub- subscriber models, and it, it only seems uh, fair or whatever you want to call it uh, that our entertainment is going to do that too. So, you know, we uh, said this would happen two years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's just so, happening. Yeah, whether it's the DC thing or it's uh, Paramount Plus, you know, uh, mm-hmm. every every company's trying to get on in on it before it's too late. Yeah. Uh, We'll see what it ultimately means for our entertainment as we move forward. And your 45 uh, monthly streaming subscriptions yeah. that everyone will have. Yeah. yeah. Netflix, Netflix confirmed that it will run to five blood standout Delroy Lindo in the leading actor category for awards consideration, putting to rest a debate that lingered on film Twitter and the intercut podcast art. Yeah or nay, you still believe Delroy Lindo is the runaway favorite for the leading actor Oscar. Do you have someone? Uh, so a lot of people are saying Anthony Hopkins in The Father. A lot of people are saying that performance yeah, is good. For we sure. talked about that back in uh, yeah. in Sundance, although we Sundance. hadn't seen it. Um, but that's great. But that's fantastic. You know, I don't, I don't just want one good performance out of five. I, I want the whole thing to be stacked. I'm still rooting for Linda until I see The Father. Yeah. But but yeah, I would definitely. Again, I'm one who believes you know, it's an honor to just be nominated, as they say. Uh, but I, I definitely, I hope they have a good run with it. More people catch the movie. Uh, more people catch a lot of his other performances as well, because that's the big thing. You know, it's like you win the the Academy Award, more people pay attention to it. You know, yeah. that's the whole point of it. Um, and a yeah. lot of times, I feel like people don't win the Oscar for their best performance, right? Like this might be the performance yeah. <laughs> that makes people say, "Oh shoot, Del- Delroy Lindo should have an Oscar," and he doesn't win it this year. But three years from now, he's going to be pretty good in a movie, and we give it to him or something. You know? You know, he's been great in movies, but mm-hmm. now you can go back and talk about those movies as an Academy Award winner, right? Academy right. Award nominee. It just changes the game of it. We we know the politicizing of award shows, which yeah. we'll get to. Uh, I'm on uh, for awards radars predictions for best potential best actor nominees. Let okay, me let's throw go. Throw a couple at you. See if you're excited about them. Uh, Gary Oldman in Mank. Yes. Uh, Fincher. Fincher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks in News of the World. No. <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya. In Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Uh, what about Steve Young in Minari? You think he's still got a shot? Ooh, you. I would I love. Hope so. I would love to see him there because I yeah. think he did an incredible performance. It is a bilingual performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a faith-driven. It is a family-driven performance. I think he gave a lot there. I yeah. would love to see him. Wow, that that would be a great one. That would be a great one to see. Well, we're looking forward to seeing some more of these movies as the year plugs along. Uh, that's about it for Yay or Nay. Although, before we're done, I, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about, we found out uh, recently that uh, I think it was uh, The Hollywood Reporter was acquired and brought into the same media umbrella with Variety and Deadline, uh, meaning the three, I guess, leading sources of entertainment news are all under the same uh, corporate structure, which... You know, if you're following the the evolution of news media and how uh, the different branches are being sold off to different big corporations, it's just interesting how this is potentially creating a lot of, uh, I guess, tr- trust issues because they're all under one company. And I don't know. What were your thoughts on it? I have three, <laughs> I think. One. Yes, this is us announcing that Intercut will be selling to, com- <laughs> to, to PRC complex. Media. 
Yeah, uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, I've said it time and time again. I think this further proves. I believe that there are streaming networks that are hiring people who have authentic opinions and being able to hire them for their what is a promotion. That is not a bad thing. Get your money. Get your coin. Um, I don't want that to limit people from saying things about certain products, about certain right. things, in worry that they will not be able to be hired for another video essay. Uh, as you work for a company, and those companies also have things with other studios that you may you know, not be granted access, so you have to play the game. There's always the playing of the game thing. It is always interesting to read articles from the <laughs> aforementioned websites and others, which I highly recommend searching up what's been bought. Um, and I'm talking about fighting the man and the machine and everything, and you are the machine. You are the system. Right, right. You're doing the exact same thing. You pay your employees in three months' time, but we're living in 2020. What are you talking about? Yeah. And entertainment media is, is a very interesting beast in the entertainment in the, in the media world in general because so much of what we do is reliant on being given access and uh, mm -hmm. being let oh, into the know. door by these major movie studios. And as they studios. talk about accessibility and being pro-helping right. people. And as media uh, companies, what allows us to put the pressure on studios to give us access is that there's such a range of opinions out there that uh, they can't help but let them all have them, or otherwise, like they're it, like you can't just Talk limit that. some of them, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, when they're all under one umbrella, you can kind of push one message, and you know, like that. This corporate structure is friendly to our uh, to to what we're trying to get out there, and you know it kind of it closes the door to some dissenting opinions, uh, potentially or contrarian opinions, and I don't know. It, it's more theoretical than practically happening. Although we we see it happening with how Disney treated the L.A. Times, and I don't know stuff like that's that's scary from a media perspective. Bruh, there yeah. are so many websites out there that are owned by bigger websites. Yeah. And these two websites will yell at each other, and then you don't even realize that they're part of the same parent company. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, PMC Media was the company okay. actually in question. So, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on cool. them and uh, Hollywood Reporter and Variety and Deadline and hoping that uh, their coverage is not affected too much. Was um, IndieWire part of those? I don't know, actually. I really hope not. Actually, yeah. may I bridge this to something else, Zach? Because I'm very curious to know your opinion. Please. Yeah or nay? Is the new Letterbox HQ thing a good thing? So Letterbox introduced this new feature that allows uh, companies like IndieWire, I think IndieWire was the first, uh, mm. to have an account on there as well. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. it's, they're given a... a uh, the way that some people are designated pro accounts, they're designated a uh, news account or organization account. I forget what it is. Headquarter account. Headquarter, okay. Uh, I think it's an interesting choice by Letterboxd. I think it's a move... People often forget that Letterboxd is also a social media platform. Yes. And all these social media platforms, from Facebook to Twitter to Tumblr and wherever, as they grow, have to find space for corporations because these corporations want to reach out to those user bases and uh, there's an interesting yeah. article by scott tobias not so like a week ago i believe uh that talked about how letterbox is growing it's got a couple million users i believe now and i think it's fair to say that a lot of uh, a lot of the most fervent discussions of films are happening on letterbox so if you're not reaching out to a letterboxed audience you're missing a lot of what's a, a lot of the people who care about movies uh, mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think it makes sense that an organization like IndieWire would get on there. I saw that uh, 
film at Lincoln Center, which hosts the New York Film Festival, is also on there. Um, it it's complicated and it's it's weird seeing their username pop up, uh, but I feel like it's an inevitability based on what we know social media to be. True. I, I do think I do think Letterboxd has done a pretty good job of not making new features that disrupt the feel of the platform, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not too intrusive yet, but mm-hmm. you know, it, if if it changes in two years, I feel like this is might be a moment we could look back to and uh, potentially blame it on. You know, they had profiles; they worked fine. The HQ, which you have to apply for, so. That's a nice thing to have open, who they decide to apply or not. We can talk right. more about Rotten Tomatoes on another day uh, that does that as well. But if you decide who gets those access, who gets that access to have the headquarter page, because what does the headquarter page allow you to have? Stories. Mm-hmm. Those stories do not open up on Letterbox. It gets hyperlinked and in many cases opens it up again over there. Do you remember, you know, Twitter? <laughs> you know, Twitter gives you like a page of moments. Yeah, and those are decided by whoever decides should get that attention. I, the same thing's going to happen here. You are right. There is so much. There's an audience here. When there's an audience here, I don't want to say the word exploit, but you capitalize. It's capitalism yeah. 101. So now there's going to be. You know, it's only a matter of time before we have ads. Do you? <laughs> you ever see a viral tweet? Yeah. And then you go, and you see washer dishes with this you look at this goose slime because there are people who are looking at that i i feel it is only a matter of time before sponsors come in and see that yo that person's got fifty thousand followers on a movie Mm -hmm. your 10 words on mulan add this bit the story feature is is a way for if you get accepted to be able to have your story mode your articles Mm -hmm. that's how you make money it's a very fine line between we're pushing film and movie love, but also there are advertisements on your thing, you know? Yeah, and, and then again, I think that goes back to my point of, like, hopefully Letterbox continues its tradition of not including obtrusive changes, changes that, that fundamentally change how we interact with the app, that, that inject mm-hmm. unwanted voices into places where we don't want them. Like, I like being able to scroll to the point where you see these are all the latest ratings from my friends. I don't yes. want to have to scroll past, here's what IndieWire thought of the movie first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in some <laughs> ways it part. might be helpful. Like, if there's an upcoming movie, like, I don't know if you ever do this where I, you add something to your watch list because it's coming out in 2021. Like, if it links, if it shows posts, like, these are the last three articles IndieWire posted that mentioned that movie, that could be kind of helpful and interesting. But again, uh, the reason that I like Letterboxd is the user base. And I, Thank I think you. they, I, I hope Letterboxd knows that too. That that's the reason why people yeah. want to be on there, because that's that's what ultimately ruined a place like Facebook. Is that like I, you know, I make indeed. fun of it if you want, but I wish it was just like f- things that my friends said and like pictures of, and it's of not. family photos. You know, like I, it's not because yeah. they needed to make money. And like you said, when there's a spot there, you're used to seeing your friends. But once there's a spot there, you fight. It's capitalism 101. You fight yeah. for that spot for the attention. And look what happened okay. to IMDb. I really hope they don't turn into IMDb. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely check out that Scott Tobias article for The Ringer, though. They uh, they mentioned how IMDb kind of got ruined in there, and uh, mm-hmm. it was some interesting insight into how Letterboxd operates and how they think. So I'll link to that in our description down below. But It'll be interesting uh, to see them grow. 
yeah. Finally, that is it to the yay or nays. And if you want to hear a certain subject covered here on Intercut, just a reminder, be an intercutie and send us your question by leaving it in the comments on YouTube, hitting us up on social media at IntercutPod, or again, emailing IntercutPod at gmail.com. Let's move on to topic of the week. And this week's topic is the Emmys. A bizarre hmm. year of TV made way for some unexpected winners at the yearly Academy of Television Arts and Sciences celebration. Watchmen, which had the most nominations of the night with 11, won four awards, tying HBO's other major contender, Succession, also four awards, as the night's second most awarded shows. However, the big winner of the night was the Canadian sitcom Schitt's Creek, which picked up seven awards, the first comedy or drama series ever to win all seven major awards in a single year. That being Outstanding Comedy, Lead Actor, Lead Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Directing, and Writing. Art, what did you think of Schitt's Creek's domination after not winning a single Emmy any prior prior year to pulling off this sweep? It's crazy, Zach. It's almost like last fall Fox bought the show and syndicated it, even though it wasn't 100 episodes. Like, is the syndication? I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Zach. Uh, And Fox bought it, and, you know, now with 80 episodes. I I like the show. I like the show. I really do like the show. I've I've mentioned in the past. At 80 episodes, they're able to syndicate it. Congratulations to them. Fox has it. Fox is owned by Disney. Disney owns ABC. ABC ran the Emmys. Uh, It's great for them. I think they have a movie that they want to come out with. Uh, The show is fully syndicated. Yeah, not to mention it's also being syndicated on Netflix where it's been the last couple of years. Shout out to Pop for doing that and putting the work in. I hope they don't get screwed over because that was the service that that was pushing them and that's why you heard so much of them uh, shouting it out. I do like the story. I think it gets better throughout. I am surprised how <laughs> Modern Family got all this attention every year with all the comedy stuff. And on the final mm-hmm. year, they went, eh. Yeah. We have given it to you when you didn't even deserve it, clearly, and didn't give it to other shows. And on the final year, we won't give it to you. And instead, they, they, they pull this. And congratulations to them, because I really like everyone who's involved in the show. I don't know that it's worthy of all of them, uh, especially when you have the idea, you know, I, I think Dan came out and said, he's like, well, now the internet's going to hate us, because it is. No, it's easy to hate something that's won everything, but damn the attention that was put on it. I had so many texts. Have you seen Shit's Creek? And we know that, yes, there is the prestige, there is the, you know, the honor of getting an award. It is also marketing. It is also getting people's attention. And out of 72 Emmys, Shit's Creek was the one to get them all. I don't know about that. If you haven't seen Insecure, season four was fantastic. Curve has been great. But also watch Shit's Creek. It's a good show. It's a good show. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing Nine. I feel... The thing that makes me feel bad is like, yes, this is its final show, final season. So I think it got a lot of love on its way out the door. Uh, But there's also a show like The Good Place, which was in its final season and ended its four year run with zero Emmy wins. And uh, the tough part about a show pulling off this kind of sweep is that it beat Dead to Me, it beat Insecure, it beat What We Do in Those Shadows, and none of those shows have ever won an Emmy, at least above the line Emmy. Insecure has one for editing. Um, but like, (laughs) you know, I think, I think what happens is sometimes Uh. we get so attached to a single product that we want to vote across the board. And like, of course, when you love a show, you love like every character on that show and you want to see them all do well. But like, 
without having seen enough Schitt's Creek to really feel like I'm fairly judging, I haven't seen the final season, uh, you know, to give them all four acting awards, it, it does, like you said, like you said, lead to that kind of like reflexive pushback where it's like, well, what, what about the show that I loved? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's exciting. And I do think it's really exciting for a show that's a Canadian show uh, mm-hmm. to pull this pull this off like we've been talking about how Netflix and Amazon have come in and tried to be these like juggernauts in the award season the how Mrs. Maisel comes in and wins this award almost every year and this year it it got beat by that little show from from the CBC you know uh, yeah. it I think I still think that is cool, even if it means that some other shows didn't get the love that they maybe should have, maybe could have. Uh, you know, obviously, this being Shit's Creek's final year, uh, maybe those shows will then get a chance to uh, become the front runner next year. But you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of spreading the the awards Variety. around and uh, giving Same. more people stuff. You know, I, I wish uh, Darcy Carden had won. Uh, Emmy for her, her work as Janet on The Good Place, but uh, she'll Dude, have my heart's Emmy, I guess. That's the thing about it, and I really do like Shit's Creek, but it does feel very... I don't know what happened behind the scenes. But The Good <laughs> Maybe Place... Maybe they had a really right... good uh, awards campaign. Maybe they gave a lot of people stakes. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? But uh, one of the things that I really like about The Good Place, and I haven't finished the fourth season, so I can't speak on that, but the writers behind the show, dude. Like, these mm-hmm. are people who, on their own, are funny people. They go viral Very. on their own. Okay? Mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between doing comedy and there's a difference between how you run a campaign, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, uh, dude. It, that's a show that I'm really surprised never won a writing Emmy, just because those scripts are so, so yes. good. And it's not to take away from Shit's Creek. I hope they have, all have long careers, like yes. you know, that they have uh, new shows, whatever they're working on next as well. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't need to know that from the people from the Good Place. Whatever they do ten years from now, we're just gonna look back as like, oh, of course they did the Good Place, and they came over here. They, they are doing great work. Um, so yeah, it makes you wonder. It's like, how long is it gonna take them to be recognized? Definitely. Uh, we'll see. But good for the Levi family. Levi family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's also talk about the other two big winners from the night, Succession and Watchmen. We've Ooh. spent a lot of time extolling the virtues of those shows on this podcast. I think neither of us would argue against Watchmen's success this year. I certainly wouldn't argue against Succession's success. Uh, Art, does this say to you that HBO still has a lock on Prestige TV? Ben, HBO Max better not ruin it with their lineup. Is yep. They have. Like we said... Uh, all of the network television always reigned in all of the Emmys, and then it switched out and all of the streaming services popped up, which some could argue are still in the same cahoots, but as they popped up, HBO has still remained there, you know? Um, I like, uh, what, what did they get? They got, obviously, Best Actress. Uh, yeah, Best Supporting for Actor for Watchmen, Best Directing. They didn't win, they won Best Writing, though. They won uh, Best Directing, because I really liked the, the speech. No, 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 so... They didn't write directing. Succession one. Yeah. I like the speech Succession gave for yeah. it. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention, supporting actor. We had three actors nominated from Watchmen, right? Louis Gossett Jr., Giovanna Depo, and Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Yaya Abdul-Mateen won. That was a Depo's, bro. I, I don't even, I don't, like, you've seen the show. Yeah. Bro, they say that. <laughs> What's his name? Who did the, who hosted the Oscars and is not allowed to come back because he said, "Let's keep it a buck." You guys only award actresses who show their stuff. Yeah, Seth MacFarlane. My man put it all out there. I guess it's. I guess it. <laughs> I guess it's the same thing for men. He did a great performance, but half of his performance is not having emotion. 
great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm happy when I'm not going to complain. Adepo gave it his all. Mm-hmm. He deserved it for just that one episode. He deserved it for just that one episode. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Uh, th- yeah, yeah. You had to show your jump. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought Yaya was great on that show. It's hard He's for me great. to pick, you know? Like, that's the, that's the problem when you kind of have to nominate two people from the same thing, too. Sometimes it's like, uh, they're both great in different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm glad a Watchmen uh, person won that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, also really gl- glad... Uh, for that Jeremy Strong won lead actor for his work in Succession. Succession. I think he's giving one of the most nuanced performances on TV, so uh, that it was awarded that is really exciting. Um, Billy Crudup won the Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, which was interesting. I I know a lot of people say that his performance is one of the best things on the morning show. show. Yeah, but I'm really... I don't want to watch any more. I watched three episodes and I'm out on morning show. I know, and I still have to give it because people keep bothering me to yeah. finish it. I was like, "All right, Some I will." Some people say it got in better. My time. Yeah, because it ended. Lo- <laughs> you saw a lot of people uh, talking about how uh, because he won and Yaya won, both of the Doctor Manhattan's won Emmys. Damn, that's uh, fire! That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Uh, but I also kind of think Billy Crudup only won this category because the three succession actors probably split the vote somehow. You know, like mm. yeah, there's also the mathematics to it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, that didn't happen for Watchmen, but maybe it happened yeah. here. Uh, so, yeah, really happy for Yaya. Really happy for Regina King. Regina King has had a crazy awards run recently. She won the uh, Emmy in 2017 and 18 for her work on American Crime. She won the Oscar in 2019 for If Beale Street Could Talk, now winning here for, for Watchmen. And she's got One Night in Miami coming up next year Ooh, for the Oscars. Could directing. Be Let's an go. Epic five-year run for Massive. Regina King. Massive. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about the limited series TV movie? Yeah, please. Um, Bad Education won. Very Straight. exciting. Yeah, you Shout had mentioned. You had mentioned if there was an Oscar for lead actor, who would I want it to go to? Well, streaming rules dictated that my boy couldn't win. Uh, yeah. I was rooting for Hugh Jackman. Same. Mark Ruffalo won, which I don't know if you've seen. I've only seen three episodes of I Know This Much Is True. And I still haven't. Fantastic. I mean, it's Derek Sanfranc. Yeah. I cannot complain. If there, if there was one win that I was like, dang, I, I I wanted to go to someone else, but it went to Mark Ruffalo. I can't complain for Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Um, Do you think you're going to talk about this Mark Ruffalo performance five years from now? Because I think this is the best performance I've ever good. seen from Hugh Jackman. Which is, is part of well, you, my yeah. heartbreak over him not winning. Well, yeah, you year. know, I love, I think he was the best performance of the year. I would even yeah. pick him over, over Delroy. Yeah. So to see that he's not even in contention but was over here and he lost it is like. But Mark Ruffalo had four, like four or five episodes to work with. I yeah. also don't see how that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. It, that's a little weird to me. It's very weird when they then they dump limited series and TV movie mm-hmm. in the same category. It's, I don't get it. They're different things. Uh, have, you, have you seen Mrs. America? I caught the first two episodes. Okay. Because uh, I think, like, one of the biggest ones, I know a lot of people were using the word upset, especially when, you know, we'll talk about with the Euphoria one. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, what did it win? For Supporting Actress, again, also limited series movie for Uzo uh, Aduba. I have not yeah. seen the show yet, so... That was that, that was like one of the most exciting ones because because I don't think any of the bets were going on her yeah. to win. But I, congratulations! 
I've only seen, I think she only shows up in the second episode. And like I said, I've only seen two, uh, but she's very good in that li- little bit that I've seen of her. And okay. uh, speaking less about her performance and more about the show in general, like that is a they really well acted show. They've got yeah. just great actors top from, from the top down. Kate Blanchett is giving this unbelievable performance, but uh, I wasn't surprised to see a Mississippi yeah. actress uh, win. That, that's something that I do want to uh, catch up with the rest of, but and three uh, we were nominated for supporting. We should get to the night's other big headline, which came when Zendaya picked up the award for Outstanding Lead Actress on a Drama. At 24, that makes her the youngest ever winner in that category. And behind Viola Davis, only the second black woman to win the Lead Actress on a Drama award. She beat out Mm -hmm. Jennifer Aniston, Olivia Colman, Jodie Comer, Laura Linney, and Sandra Oh for that award. Did the category go the way you hoped it would? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Did you see what I think it was Vulture or, or Variety? One of them had said our girl won. And I've been really big on the idea that I hate corporations trying to talk like they're your friend. And yeah. I love the people who responded to it going, oh, I didn't arg- arg- I didn't know she worked for Variety. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, a lot of people I know what also went trending was a lot of people saying upset win. People who did not know the definition of upset win. Yeah, um, that New York Post headline caught some drama. Yes, sir. But nah, she more than rightfully deserved it. Uh, I think she's been her trajectory has been just fantastic on being able to balance not just artistic projects, uh, but also big budget television t- and t- uh, television and movies uh, mm-hmm. with massive we'll franchises. And soon, I, hopefully, you know, you know, like mm-hmm. she she's on a trajectory. She was maybe Michi. we see her at Oscars soon. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, it- it's it's a great performance and the kind of performance that you don't expect to be awarded necessarily in I know. the first season. That's crazy. Of the show, right? Uh so it that's what's also really exciting is to see the the Academy embracing her so quickly and, and and being on board with that show at least to that extent. It makes me think that Euphoria's second season is going to get a lot more awards since one of the things we were talking about is that she's basically the only major nomination for the show so mm-hmm. far. Uh, but that she won that's it. A lot of attention. Yeah, that's a lot of attention, yeah, lot of attention, attention. for the show. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, yeah, and and she's great on it. So you know, it's not, it's not just hype or or just like trying to award the the hot name right now. I think mm-hmm. she's legitimately earned it. So uh, it's exciting for her and uh, exciting for Euphoria. I'm I'm really happy about that one. Netflix. Didn't Big Little Lies come out like seven years ago. <laughs> it feels like it. Do you think Julia Garner should have won, doubling it up this year? When you had Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, uh, I've heard great things about Helena Bonham Carter in The Crown. She's really good on Ozark. I think she's great on Ozark. Yeah. You thought she was better than The Big Little Lies cast? <sighs> I mean, season two is so up and down. You know, it's hard to say. Like, I love that Meryl Streep performance, but it's also like the kind of Meryl Streep performance that people make fun of Meryl Streep for, where she True. she leans way too hard into a character sure. sometimes. But Zach, <laughs> it was better than Sarah Snook in Succession? Oh, well, that that definitely not. I, you, you know I'm always for my girl Sarah Snook, but... Yeah. All I had to say. Yeah. All I had to say. Uh, Netflix only won two major awards all night. Uh, do you think this is trouble for Netflix in their future in awards contention? No, I'll tell you why, because I'm looking at the Outstanding Drama Series, and for whatever reason, Stranger Things is on there. <laughs> They're well, fine. that's the thing. Uh, they've got Ozark, which only has one more season left. They've got Stranger Things, which I think we both agree is going downhill. 
Mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like Netflix needs a new contender. Like, maybe you want to count Schitt's Creek's Emmy success as a win for Netflix, but that's not their show. It's not their show, but they're reaping the benefits right now. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, Netflix does have a little bit of a, th- you know, talking about the subscription service, they're really big on not having ads on their mm-hmm. stuff. You can, they've, they've spent billions and billions to get this prestige and to get the attention. I don't economically understand how their model works. And as a lot of people have said, unless they decide to make changes that they will never make, how are you going to survive without having ads? How are you going to survive yep. with, with all this spending that you're doing? They're, they, I don't, I really hope you don't get movie passed. I yeah. really hope they don't get movie passed. Because now they're dealing for, with even bigger juggernauts. For more on that, you should listen to the uh, Land of the Giants podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. All right, and the uh, major networks took home zero awards at this year's Emmys. Also worth noting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, it's sign of the times, right? They, that's not where the best well, TV lives anymore. Well, like I said, Disney Plus is a major network. It's just streaming. Uh, FX is on Hulu. That's Fox. They're all just, you know, turning into other things. Um, Congratulations, Zach. To Quibi for winning its first award. Just outstanding from everybody. Uh, The newly for sale Quibi picks up an Emmy. You know, fantastic. You want to lend me 20 bucks, we'll buy Quibi? (laughs) My joke was in the video that we were making, the LME, I was like, hey, yo, they just want an Emmy. If they pawn it, they'll finally make a profit this year. Like, yeah. (laughs) No, it's a joke. Um, One thing I also want to mention, Jimmy Kimmel, like, thank the Lord we have him because I honestly don't know who else would be hosting these things. I'm so happy that we have a Jimmy Kimmel to just always rely on, you know? And I really appreciate his jokes about giving other people opportunities while he can... Continues to take the opportunity to make the worst damn jokes in something that was pre-recorded, dude. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it wasn't for white dudes named Jimmy who would host our late night shows, you know. Uh, Bless their souls. <laughs> uh, but that's about it for our Emmys wrap-up. I don't know if you had any other notes you wanted to mention. I, I, I was happy that Trent Reznor won an Emmy, so he's now uh, three letters of the way to the EGOT. He just needs that What's Tony Award. Really? Tony. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Damn, who would have ever thought that back in the day, you know? Right. Who would Nine have ever thought that Reznor. back in the day? Wow, yeah. that's dope. That's cool. And beating Johnny um, Greenwood to that EGOT that I thought he would get, so interesting. Uh, I guess I'll just say I'm looking forward to Showtime. I had no idea. I thought they killed it. One of the things that I've always enjoyed uh, with the Oscars, but more so with the Emmys, is that their commercials technically become the Super Bowl of here is FX. This is what we got to give you, right? right. And everyone had their, their their stuff, FX, Disney Plus, you know, great trailers here and there. They do those little compilation ones. I thought Showtime's killed it. They knocked it out of the park. Yeah. That new Brian Cranston show looks fantastic. Then they followed it up with another trailer where the ending was Showtime. Made by Lena Waithe, other creator, 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 creator. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh my goodness. Hey, they're not HBO, but they have remained there, okay? Yeah. Just like Pepsi hasn't gone away, Showtime's like, yo, we're just waiting for that one moment to break through. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward. I had Showtime for a whole year. <laughs> I got to get it and actually watch some stuff on there. That's yeah, good sure, stuff, though. Showtime's had some surprisingly good stuff on it. I've they heard do, really they good do. things about, uh, I think it's called P-Vita or P-Valley, something like that. I've heard, yeah, I've heard about that. Uh, I've seen a couple episodes of Black Monday, which I thought were fantastic. And they mm. honestly, they have a bunch of series and a lot of stuff that have, that, 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 that has been there that's wrapped up uh, and a bunch of good stuff that's coming up. So, yeah, I didn't know I would be getting Showtime by the end of the night. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, cool. So, uh, yeah, actually, I didn't get to watch the awards. I was I was driving up here. Uh, what did mm-hmm. you think of the actual ceremony? Uh, boring. Yeah. Uh, it is the more lowest, than usual or less than usual. <laughs> it was the lowest rated Emmys. Like, I don't think anybody watched this stuff. On top of it, they did that annoying thing where you have an award ceremony, awarding people for their best performances, and then. They have the dumbest skits. And the worst part is that it says that it's live and it wasn't even live. Like there was a lot of people who came out to present and then they would go back and they were automatically like in the room. So it's like, if you're in your room, are you doing that thing where you're pretending to have choppy internet? I don't know. It was kind of weird. There was, I don't know. There was a lot of jokes that they tried to make where you would think it would be delivered better. One of the opening things, I don't know if you know this, Jimmy Kimmel for five minutes straight was in front of an audience. And then he points at himself and he's like, wait, that's me. I don't know if you heard right. about that one. Yeah, I saw that yeah. clip. Yeah. Cute, I guess. Cute. Th- didn't really matter. But um, no, overall, I didn't think it was the best like possible broadcast that it could be. I thought it was very choppy. Um, and I know you were saying that one of the best parts of the Emmys wasn't even a part of the Emmys broadcast. Right. The best clip of the night was uh, Rami on Twitter showing what happens when you lose the Emmy and that hazmat suit intern walking away. Yeah. Yeah, nah, but they wish they'd shown that on the broadcast. But they should have. Uh, that would have been a lot better. But you know, they they pe- they pegged it as the pandemies, and they had a lot of people coming out to do skits. That yeah, when you don't have an audience, it's kind of rough. And yeah. on top of that, you know, winning the Emmy and having that reaction from the camera, having the time to go up, having the time to actually give your speech is completely cut when you have the Zoom call. But right. uh, so again, some of the best ones were when they were literally just like not knowing what to do. They don't know when the camera's gonna cut, and they just went to go kiss their mama because they just right. won a damn Emmy from home. Yeah, that. Those were the funniest little bits that I saw when, like, you know, Jeremy Strong would suddenly kiss his wife because they're kind of just reacting yeah. in the moment. And uh-huh. yeah. And some of the ones were awkward, too. Mark Ruffalo won, and his wife was like, yes! <laughs> yes! Liberty, I was like... Support you, man, I guess. Yeah. Definitely a, a different-looking Emmys than we're used to. Mm-hmm. But uh... Succession. They were up at 4 o'clock in the morning because they were in the U.K., I thought that was oh, also damn. an interesting one. Yeah, they were they were just waiting there every time they got nominated because <laughs> it was the same. It was a writer, the director, and then, you know, the producer's all right there in the yeah. same room, and they're like, it is 4 o'clock in the morning over here. Take your time <laughs> with your jokes, Jimmy. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, uh, that's about it for our topic of the week. Let us know uh, which Emmys winners you were happy to see, maybe which, one, which people you thought should have won Emmys. Uh, again, let us know by commenting down below on YouTube or hitting us up on social media at IntercutPod. We are going to get into our final segment, the New to See, where we give you our picks for the week. Art, what are you recommending the people check out? Uh, if you got HBO, obviously Succession, it was one of the biggest ones to win. I would say definitely go check that out. If you got Netflix, you got Shit's Creek right there if you want to go check that out. If you have Hulu, I would say watch Mrs. America. That's the one that won. I mean, you have all of these Emmy things to catch right now that everything is open. Um, I'm going to double check another one that I have here, but which ones do you have? Uh, well, I got a couple things. The Nest, a movie we saw way back when at Sundance, yeah. is out in some limited theaters. <laughs> Penny's mad about something. Uh, Penny liked yeah, it. The Nest. <laughs> Penny liked it a lot. She wanted to say. Uh, it's the latest movie from Sean Durkin, who did Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene almost 10 years ago, uh, which I think is a great movie. I, I love uh, that the way that movie plays on paranoia and this idea mm-hmm. of like not knowing what's out there. Uh, the, the Nest has a similar sense of foreboding and there's like these cold icy stairs that say a lot it's about this marriage that is being tried and kind of like crumbling apart uh after after this family moves from america to the uk 
Uh, Jude Law is really great in it. Carrie Coon is amazing in it. Uh, it's Carrie got Coon's really G. fantastic costuming and scenery. I, I would uh, definitely recommend uh, if you're a fan of uh, the kind of work that Sean Jer- Jerkin does or these really, uh, like, the, these intimate dramas that are, are about like interpersonal dynamics and like change the the changing roles in a family uh this movie captures a lot of that very well or if you're like my girlfriend and you just have a lot of nostalgia for like 80s british pop <laughs> this movie has a really killer soundtrack so uh those are good things and then it'll be available on demand in november so i'll bring that up again when we get closer to that date but if you're in okay. one of the cities that has theaters open and you are okay doing that uh it might be around you the nest and then uh i'll also recommend the new york film festival which will be going on for another couple weeks and a lot of the movies that i mentioned are available to rent through their virtual theater so unlike in years past when i talked about new york film festival and you had to be there to actually participate now you can do it from the comfort of your home uh the movie that i mentioned that i liked a lot earlier the night of the kings is available to rent on demand uh, i think through september 29th lover's rock is going to be available as i mentioned monopoly of violence might still be available so yeah nomadland which a lot of people are saying is the best movie of the year so far i'm gonna check out later tonight uh so yeah look on the film uh film at lincoln center website and maybe check out a couple new york film festival screenings uh definitely would recommend that and my quick podcast corner is Dolly Parton's America. I don't know if you've heard about this one. It's a really interesting podcast from the people at Radio Lab talking about Dolly Parton and how uh, how she is this rare unifying figure. You know, you think about today how polarized a lot of people are, how, how there's a big divide uh, between political left and political right. And Dolly Parton is this weird person who kind of bridges that gap in this country in this role of country star who's beloved in heartland america and has her own amusement park in tennessee bro what you know about theme parks bro meanwhile she's also this like beloved figure for the lgbt community and recently uh came out in strong support of black lives matter and you know she she's somebody who's loved by lots of people young and old and uh, this podcast (laughs) this podcast attempts to decipher why that is why she's been able to uh, strike this fine line how much of that is about her story and how much of, about, of, of that is about how she handles herself it's just really well done in the way that it takes this this pop figure and expands it into the worlds of uh, of politics and race and and the way that the country has changed I, I think it's a remarkable series I think it's only nine episodes long it ended at the end of last year but uh, I knocked that out in a road trip and thought it was just excellent so nice. Dolly Parton's America if you're looking for a good story driven podcast I, I'd highly recommend that one Kindred don't watch Antebellum mm. go read Kindred I just finished the graphic novel version of Kindred. Not as detailed, but way more detailed than whatever the hell Antebellum was. Go watch Kindred. (laughs) Or read Kindred. That would be an adaptation that should be guarded completely. You need to to have a a specific set of nuance to to do that one. But uh, it's a nice little, um, it's a sci-fi tale. Uh, about this woman who ends up going back in time and she doesn't know what's causing it but she goes back in time to slave times but she she keeps jumping back and forth uh, and it is it is absolutely fantastic and it hits everything that antebellum tried so very cool very cool all right, so that's all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich Art. Where can people find more from you? 
You can find me on LME Explain over at HQ Letterbox. You can find me over at the moments on Twitter or on YouTube just every month or so, something like that, or every week <laughs> here at the Intercut Podcast. Yeah, you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on your favorite podcatcher, I Like Overcast, and then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the podcast every Friday. Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that elusive five-star review. Shout out to our listeners in France and Spain who put us on the TV and film podcast charts out there mm. recently. Like our Facebook, Instagram, nice. and Twitter pages. All of them are at IntercutPod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, remember to save your twist ending for last. Damn.